Well, good morning. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is working here this morning? Are you willing to let Him work in you this morning? Yeah, I, I hope I am too. <laughs> I tell you, you know, there's, there's times where we feel that. We feel overcome. We feel overwhelmed by His presence. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm almost hunting for that feeling when I need to just rest in what I believe. And then that kind of comes with it, Right? And there are things that Jesus is talking about as we come to the end of Luke chapter 12 this morning where things that he believed, things that he was willing to obey were so important for him and he was overwhelmed. And the reason why, as, as we've gone throughout Luke chapter 12, man, this has been a fascinating chapter. I mean, you, you want to talk about challenging teaching, Jesus is bringing it every word, every sentence, every paragraph And it's because he's trying to get us to stop focusing so much on what is just right in front of us, on just the here and now, that we get our vision so turned down towards this earth, and if I'm honest with myself, so focused down onto myself, but he wants us to look up and see what's coming. He wants us to look up and see what's coming because we've been calling this series Treasure Map. He's trying to get us somewhere, and he knows how to get us there, and he knows what's coming when we get there. And so he's trying to give us this journey. He's trying to break through. This challenging teaching is to cut through the things that keep us from focusing on what is above and what is ahead. So he wants us to look up and see what's coming. And Jesus himself did that because what's coming is why he came. And so in Luke chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 49 this morning. And I think this is one of those moments that I I just wonder, as he's speaking to the people that stand in front of him, that Jesus almost looks into the timeline because he knows the entire timeline of the planet Earth. And he knows all of eternity that is coming beyond that. And it's almost as if he gets a distant look in his eyes as he sees into that future and says... I came to send fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But even as he says that, I wonder if his eyes come back down now to the people in front of him as he continues. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. All right, so, so what is going on here? Because everything that Luke has just written, those, those three verses we just read, does that feel a little bit cryptic? Because that would have been incredibly cryptic to the people who heard it that day. What does he mean fire? What does he mean baptism? What does he mean peace? What does he mean division? And so this is one of the places that I think it's so cool that, that Dr. Luke has this incredible attention to detail. That like a surgeon, you know, he's just being so careful and he's digging in. He's looking for exactly what's going on. Took excellent notes so that later it's like, instead of throwing that out because I don't know, really know what he means there, he writes it down. Because you and I begin to get more perspective because we don't only have Luke 12, but we have this entire book to start to put these pieces together. And when Jesus says, I came to send fire on the earth, 
I think he means that literally. That the fire that he's talking about here is the kind of fire that we actually just sang about a few moments ago in that song, Hosanna. I see the king of glory coming on the clouds with fire. This is a picture of what we'll see in the book of Revelation when Christ comes back. This is actually a fire of judgment. And the reason that he uses that word fire is because fire both separates, it divides, and purifies. Right? That everything that is impure, everything that cannot stand in the presence of a holy God will be burned away, separated, divided out, and what's left is good. And only good. Now, doesn't Jesus know that people do not like to hear fire and brimstone messages? I think he probably does. But I also wonder, I think Jesus knows so clearly how much we don't like to hear fire and brimstone that he feels like he's got to talk about it so that he can rescue us from it. And I want to let you just into this moment for Jesus because in these verses there are two words that indicate the intense emotion that he is feeling. He says, how I wish, how I long for, how I desire that it was already kindled. And when he talks about this baptism, he says, and how distressed I am. You can feel this burden that Jesus is feeling, but how how can he say that he wishes the fire of judgment was already here? Well, let me tell you a story that maybe helps you get into this, because you may have experienced this feeling yourself. I was talking to a a business owner here in the city a couple of weeks ago, and as we were having this conversation, he was just sharing some things that he had seen broken in his family, stuff that we're seeing on the news, just, just... Places where the evil in the world around us, but also the evil that creeps up within us, just breaks things. And as a Christ follower, his words to me were, I wish Jesus would just come back and be done with all of this. And I thought, actually, kind of, yeah, me too. And maybe you feel that sometimes, that you just wish that relationships did not have to be broken anymore, that you wouldn't have to feel betrayal again, that we could stop dealing with disease and death and disappointment, but that things could just be good. See, that's why Jesus says that that he wishes this was already here, because he knows how good it will be on that day when evil is fully and finally done away with. But as I was uh, talking to this friend, completely owning that moment with him, like I'm with you, and yet, I actually remember our conversation from the last time we talked where you were telling me about your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus this way yet, who hasn't met the God that you say you serve yet. And there's the tension, right? Right? You know, that sometimes there's this piece of like, well, I believe Jesus and he's my forgiver and so I wish we could just be done with this thing and let's move on and, oh, and then you remember somebody you care about and you think, come Lord Jesus, just in a little while (laughs) because I want my friend to know you. I want my neighbor to know you. I want that person in my family to know you so that they can know the goodness of what is coming too. 
And I think that that's what Jesus is feeling. He feels that wish because he knows how painful the things that are broken are, and he longs for what is good. But I also think as his eyes come down to those that he's speaking to, he too is thinking of people that he loves. And so even as he has set that picture before us, he says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. Like there's something else that has to happen first. That there will be a time when Jesus comes to separate good from evil like that. But before that happens, he says, I've got this baptism to be baptized with. Now what is he talking about there? In that moment... It would have been hard to understand. But you and I have things like Romans 6, where Paul describes how our baptism, when a follower of Christ goes out maybe to the the terrace out here and is dipped underwater, that represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that connects us to the cross. This is a moment that Jesus is looking forward to the sacrifice that he is going to make. This is a moment that he looks forward to the cross. And that word baptism really has this sense of being overwhelmed, being covered over. And so that's why often, and when we baptize with water, that's how we do it, till you're overwhelmed, (laughs) covered over with water. And so he connects that picture to the cross because he's saying, Before that final day comes, I have something to go through because I am willing to take the fire for you. And how distressed I am till it is accomplished. See, it's a picture of how he is going to make us right with God through the cross. And so it is, shall we say, confusing then? That the next thing he says is, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Where have I heard that phrase before? I mean, come on, a couple months from now, we're all going to be singing it to each other, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Or uh, what's that other one? Melissa was telling me this morning. Peace on earth. Can it be? And and we want to say, yes, it can. That's why he was here, right? Now, it says in Isaiah that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, but that was written a long time ago. Maybe that's not what he's talking about. Ephesians 2.14 says that he himself is our peace, but that hasn't been written yet. Maybe that's not what he's talking about, but you would be excused if you thought that Jesus came to bring peace on earth because you do not even have to leave the book of Luke. It's back in Luke chapter 2 that the angels sing as Jesus is going to be born, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And the chapter right before that, where Jesus' cousin John is being held as a baby by his father, and Zechariah speaks, but it says it's the Holy Spirit speaking through him. So God said this, that he came to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to shine a light on those who sit in darkness and to guide their feet into the way of peace. You think I came to give peace on earth? Yes, Jesus, that is exactly what I think. <laughs> he says, I tell you, not at all. 
Not at all. But division. See, he wants us to look up and see what's coming. And one of the things that's coming that he does not want us to be surprised about is that division is coming. He gives the picture this way in verse 52. He says, For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. That one's maybe not as surprising. And (laughs) daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You see, here's the picture. In that culture, families typically would stay together in one house. And so... While it lists two people in three different scenarios, this is almost like one of those logic puzzles where you write the names of the people down one side and who disagrees on the top, and then it's like, the woman who is older than the second woman is not the one that disagreed with the older man. You know, and you're trying to put these X's in the box and figure it out. Okay, maybe you don't do that. I do a lot of those. I I teach critical thinking at our, our homeschool at our house, so I get to do a lot of those. But basically what's happening is there's five people in this house. Mom and dad, their daughter and son. Son got married, so now there's a daughter-in-law in the house. And it gives this picture of how the house is split right down the middle. Ever felt division in your family? You ever felt how painful that can be? Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. I'm telling you, division is coming. But it's not because it's what he wants for us. In fact, I think that what he's trying to show us here is that often we have a false idea of what peace is. And Jesus does not want to offer us false peace. A lot of times we think as if peace means everybody just kind of tries to get along. In fact, our culture fully embraces this Even in in places of belief like this, we say, hey, I will believe what I want and I will leave you alone about it. You believe what you want, you leave me alone about it. Then we have peace, right? But the biblical idea of peace is so much bigger than that. It encompasses not just not fighting, but this idea of, of justice, that things are right, that things are the way that they are meant to be. And when Luke writes in chapter 1 and chapter 2, you know, those, those words of peace that are some of the first things he wants us to understand, he's talking about peace with God, that things are right, things are how they are supposed to be before the God who created us. So how does that bring division? Well, it's true. Isaiah 53 does say that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, that he paid that so we would have peace with God A couple chapters later, Isaiah 57 points out that there is peace to him who is far, peace to him who is near, but there is no peace for the wicked. Well, thank goodness that is none of us, (laughs) right? You see, the picture here is that we don't like to think about it, but that in reality, every single one of us at one point in our lives was an enemy of God. And God extends an offer of peace, but often people reject that offer because they don't want peace, at least not on God's terms. And so you think about this this picture of a family, and I'll tell you about a family that is, is right here in our Horizon community, and I've decided to tell this in such a way that you don't necessarily know who that family is, and as you listen to it, you may start thinking, I did not give Drew permission to tell that. So just know... 
that if it was your family, you already know <laughs> that this is you. But I've had enough of these conversations and I've lived it myself to know that this is not unusual. I was talking to a, a gal from our, our community here in Horizon. And she was sharing how as she's been praying through, like all the way back to things, you know, in Luke 6, like, like love your enemy. And what does that look like? And, and if we're supposed to let the spirit lead and what does that look like? And that she'd experienced this kind of division in her family. You know, that we want unity, we want reconciliation, we, be, we believe that forgiveness is important, we believe that it's possible. And so one morning she reached out to a family member to just say, listen, you don't have to agree with me, but I would like to offer forgiveness. I know there's some things that I need to work on. I would like to reconcile, and I believe that that really is what God would want most for us. And you would not believe the vitriol that she described to me coming back from this family member. How dare you tell me how to live my life? How dare you bring God into this? Maybe you need to go pray and read your Bible. And she's thinking, I did that for two hours before I reached out to you, but okay. Greater division. You see, Christianity, strangely, is uniquely divisive in our world for the simple fact that Jesus says he is the only way. No other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And so it's not that we are divisive, right? It's not that we go out there and try to start fights with people. It's the reality of the fact that when Jesus says, I am the only way, people don't like to hear it. And so let me encourage you this way. You know, maybe you're thinking of your own story. Maybe you're thinking of a family member, a neighbor, a friend, somewhere that you are trying to pray this way, reach out this way, offer peace this way. Don't give up. Okay? Keep praying. Keep being kind. Keep being generous. Keep demonstrating who Christ has created you to be in their life. And just know, you know, we prayed about, we sang about the Holy Spirit working. If you've ever attempted this, you know you do not change people's hearts. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit can. So persevere in that thing. You know, it's possible that in this piece, Jesus has been speaking to followers, to disciples, but now in verse 54, he lifts up his eyes to speak to the entire multitude. And I think it's because of this idea that he knows that his peace is going to create division, and yet, yet he still wants to offer that kind of reconciliation with God. That now he speaks to all of them, and in verse 54, he says, Okay, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming. And... So it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? So the picture that Jesus gives us here, he, he turns to the weather. And the reason for that is because this was something where, you know, as sophisticated as we are today, and like we can know which direction storms are going, where they'll be seven days from now, what category they are, when it's going to be sunny, when it's going to be cloudy. Um, we can predict crazy things like Cincinnati weather, 89 degrees one day and 45 the next. <laughs> really? 
So I grew up around Chicago, and people said, if you don't like the weather in Chicago, just wait. No, they are kidding. When you say that here about Cincinnati, that is true. (laughs) Jesus is telling them, even for those kinds of changes, you understand the weather, and you're right about it. Like you picture where Israel is, the Mediterranean Sea is to the west. So if a breeze, if a cloud comes up from the west, it's probably carrying water from the Mediterranean Sea with it, and it's going to rain. He says, you're right, that is how the weather works. You figured it out, you discerned the weather. If it's a breeze coming from the south, they actually, if they drew a compass, they would label names for, the, for the, each of the winds that would come from a different direction. And that southern wind is called Sirocco. And the idea there is that if you think about south from there, you have the Sinai Peninsula and the Sinai Desert, and then you have down into Africa where it's just covered with desert. And if a wind is coming from the south, what do you suppose it's bringing with? Hot, dry, desert air. You see the south wind, you know the heat's coming. You're right, it is. You've learned how to discern this thing. I think he's trying to get them to realize they can see... A shower that is coming with refreshing rain, but they're missing out on the refreshing grace of God. They can see a wind coming that is going to bring a horrific heat, but they can't see the fire that is coming. He calls them hypocrites. Here at the end of the chapter, it's the same thing that he warned us at the beginning of the chapter. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You know, this idea that that there are people all around him and that there's something in us that wants to appear like I'm on board. I want to act like I get this. I at least want you to think that I'm doing okay. But deep down, they didn't really understand. They didn't really believe who he was or why he was here. And so he challenges them. And I think he challenges us. You can understand all of these things. You're so good at putting the pieces together, but you can't discern this time. And that phrase, this time, is the Greek word chiron. In Greek, they use a couple different words for time. So there's chronos, which is chronology, right? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, stretching out on the timeline. But what Jesus uses here, chiron, is this idea of just the right season. Just the right time. And we would probably say, Now's the time. That's the idea that he's getting at here. In fact, something really interesting. In modern Greek, as I researched this, I discovered that that word chiron has come also to refer to the weather. And I thought, that has to be like Jesus started that, right? Because <laughs> it didn't at this time, but it does now. The semantic range has expanded to include that. Well, Jesus is saying, hey, if you're bright enough to figure out the weather, you should be able to figure this out. He says, now's the time because the time is coming. You know, we've seen that all throughout Luke chapter 12. You know, we hear a story of a rich ruler who becomes even richer and then dies. You know, we saw last week servants who thought the master was coming, but he's at least delayed if he's coming at all. Right? Jesus is saying, even if you don't know when it is, the time is coming So now's the time to respond to the message that he's giving. So he turns from the weather to this picture of a courtroom. And he says to them, Yes, and why, even of yourselves, do not judge what is right. 
right? What's the good thing? What's the thing to do? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him. Lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite. What happened to that peace on earth? This is challenging teaching. I was talking with my small group a couple weeks ago, and one of the guys mentioned how this is kind of the sweet thing about verse-by-verse study. We don't get to skip the challenging stuff, but often when we really dig in, when I say, that hurts, and I'm not sure why. I, I can't understand that, and I'm not sure why. Is it because there's something I'm missing? Is it, whew, is it because there's something I don't want to understand? Because we don't get to skip the challenging stuff, we often discover some of the most beautiful stuff. You know, that if Jesus knows that there is a judgment coming, that sounds like I don't want to hear about that. But if he also says he's willing to take that judgment for you, well, that starts to sound pretty good, right? Look at this story that he gives. And notice, when the adversary brings you to the magistrate, drags you to the judge... The judge delivers you to the officer and the officer throws you into prison. There is an assumption here that the defendant has a bad case. The defendant has a case that is ultimately going to go against him. Right? I love all of you here this morning. So I just got to be honest. You and I, every one of us, you have a bad case before a holy God. So do I. Outside of the mercy and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you've got a bad case, and it is ultimately going to go against you. I know that's probably not what you came here to hear this morning, (laughs) but it's too important not to realize. Because what Jesus says is that ultimately that ends up with that person being thrown into prison. He says, and you shall not depart from there until you've paid the very last mite. That word mite, as near as we can tell, a mite would be worth about one-sixteenth of a penny. And Jesus says, you have to pay back every bit. So think about this. Whoever this is that's being dragged to the judge, if they've got a debt so bad that it's actually being taken to court, odds are they can't pay this debt. Right? If, if they could pay it, but just didn't feel like it, dragging you to court is probably the moment that you say, okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'll pay it. Right? The idea here is they already can't pay it. This is meant to give us a picture of impossibility because if you can't even pay this little thing back and now you're stuck in prison, then how are you supposed to pay off this debt? But here's what happens to our hearts, and I'll admit, this is what happens to mine. Sometimes when I read something like this, I start thinking, oh my word, I gotta start getting my pennies together. I got to start gathering my mites, right? He says, you have to pay every last mite. Okay, um, so if I want to be worthy of God, right? If I want to make it to to, to whatever's coming, if I want to avoid that fire, then it's my job to pay back every last mite, so I better get started. Well, that actually takes you to Proverbs 25, verse 8, where there's this, this line that says, do not hurry to the court, 
Because it is going to be embarrassing when you find out that you are not up to the debt. I thought that was a really interesting picture because so many times this is what happens to us. We say, maybe we're ready to identify, God, I have messed up this way, I've messed up that way, I've hurt this person, I've hurt myself, I've lied, I cheated, I stole, I lusted, I did all these things. Um, but I started doing this thing, that makes up for that thing, right? And, and I'm going to do this thing, and, and I promise I'll work on this thing. And we start thinking that we're going to pay it back. You can't do it. That is a false gospel. So when your heart trips into that place of thinking, I will make up for this, and then God will accept me, that is not how it works. The other piece is, you know, maybe you hear my story and you say, well, at least I haven't done what he's done. I'm generally a good person. I've tried my best. And I'm telling you, I was talking to a buddy recently who, who was working with a number of guys that are trying to understand what this faith is all about. And they are so trapped in this place of thinking, God will receive me if I do enough good. All right, then you're in Galatians. Where Galatians says, if you want to be judged by the law, you can be. That is one way to come before the judge. That's an option. But you will be judged by every last cross T, every last dotted I, every last might, and you will not stand up to it. You won't, I won't, no one will. You see, God does not want me to come to him with my big pile of stuff I tried to do to fix it or stuff I tried to do to make myself worthy. I mean, you picture if that day comes, if tonight is my night and I say, look, God, I got this, this stuff. You realize what I'm saying is here is my best attempt to justify myself. God wants us to come before him and say, Hi, my name is Drew, and I would love to settle out of court. I would love to settle out of court, because my debt is way too big for me. No matter how much time you gave me, no matter how much good I tried to do, my debt is way too big for me. And so here's what I think is beautiful. Do you see the gospel? Almost hidden in this story. Jesus is telling you, he's telling me, he's telling us that it is actually possible to settle out of court. Right? That almost sounds like a bad thing, doesn't it? Because if I need to settle out of court, it means I'm already in trouble. <laughs> right? I'd rather not even have to be on the way to court. But the reality is, that's not where we're at. And so Jesus says, you can actually settle out of court. But it's not because you can pay every last mite. It's because there is one person, Christ alone, can do that for you. That Christ alone drinks every last drop from the cup of God's wrath, that he's willing to take on that fire, that he can pay back every last mite of your debt and speak to your heart that the debt is canceled. In fact, I think that's how Luke is connecting these things because 
If you jump back up, remember that Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. We connected that to the cross because that's the place where he paid your debt. And that phrase, it is accomplished, is actually one word in the Greek. And it is the same word that he speaks on the cross in John 19.30. Where he says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. In our moment in Luke chapter 12, the timeline of history had not reached that point yet. And he said as he would pray in the garden, I am so distressed until it will be accomplished. But we know. We know of his death. We know of his resurrection. And we hear his words, a shout of victory. And I think with some relief saying, now it is finished. There's nothing left to do but to trust the one who pays back your debt. Everything else flows out of that. You know, I heard a a friend of mine speaking on this recently and he pointed out what, what I just thought was just the most interesting juxtaposition that Jesus' last words on the cross were not, guys, I got this thing started. Now you go finish it. Like you can almost make that sound inspirational, right? Only that's not what he said. His last words were, say it with me, it is finished. Whenever you feel like taking some of that shame back, whenever you feel like taking some of that debt back, if you are a follower of Christ, it is finished. You know, Chad mentioned last week that a lot of times we're familiar with the Bible, but we haven't really heard the gospel. This is the gospel. This is it. That trust in Christ as your forgiver for every debt that you owe is the only way to be at peace with God. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, that is offensive to say that he's the only way and you feel that division. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm totally with you. I believe that. Thank you for the reminder. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and this is the first time that you've really understood it that clearly. Then I wonder, can we discern this time? You and I, right now, this morning, can we discern this time? I think Jesus would say to us, now's the time. If it is finished, then now's the time to respond to that truth. Either to say, God, I've been trying to make it to you on my own, but I believe that I need a forgiver and that it's only Christ and that in him it is finished. If you've never made that decision before, hey, today, now's the time. If you have, then how do we respond to this? Again, think back to last week. I know that was like seven days ago. But you remember at the end of the passage Chad shared with us, it said, to whom much is given, much will be expected. And it is so true that we are in the United States in 2018, like in terms of the world, we have been given much. And we have a responsibility with that. But even a lot of that is the stuff that ultimately burns up. (laughs) 
But look at what else we have been given. Not just a cryptic message, but we know the truth of his death, his resurrection, that he is coming back and that it is finished. We have been given much. And so here's what I'll tell you. Right here, right now, at Horizon Community Church, this, all of this, this is all about Jesus. We're not here to play church. Jesus wasn't really looking for people to come up and say, nice job on that fire stuff today, Jesus. (laughs) Right? He wants people to know him. That is why we're here. Whether we means you and I, first name basis, whether we means horizon, whatever that means, everything that we're doing here is about Jesus. It's why we do equipping services. It's why we want to multiply equipping services. And we talk about giving to that, to make that possible in this season, in the life of our church, because we believe now's the time. That's why a few weeks from now, we're having a women's event, I think November 8th, where Beth Guckenberger is going to come and speak about how she went through a hard time in her life, and she got through it, not by just trying harder, but by resting on God. Right? That event, those equipping services were multiplying. Those aren't really for you and I. Right? We're here. We're receiving that. But what about that friend, that neighbor? That person who's been exploring, could it be for them? Could now be the time for them? Could you invite them? It's why we have men's studies, women's studies. It's why East Station is doing their thing right now. Why the students are upstairs at the other end of the building right now. Because we believe that now's the time. Look, when we started Luke chapter 12, we had no guarantee that we would even get through Luke chapter 12. We don't know when he's coming back. That's why we know Now's the time, because it is finished. But someday, that time will come, and we will stand before God, and he will say to your heart, if you have your faith in Christ, welcome home. So start imagining, start praying, start investing. Who else could be there with you? Because now's the time. Let's pray that way. Father God in heaven, you know how, how this uh, passage has wrestled with my heart. Lord, how humbling it is to hear your word and to just want to share your truth. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would cut through anything within us that is, is blocking out what you might speak. God, that your Holy Spirit would cut through anything in us that thinks that we have to make ourselves worthy of you. And God, that even just right here this morning, Christ Jesus would be glorified because we trust you and you alone to tell us it is finished. And I ask that through that Spirit, with joy in your Son, with faithfulness to you because of your faithfulness to us, Lord, we would see how now's the time around us, how you are at work. Lord, that we might glorify you even this day as a community in this place in the name of Jesus Christ. And we will give you all the glory for it in his name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. We will see you back next week.